You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Microsoft is looking for a possible leak behind the spread of exchange server exploits and hackers piggyback on web shells placed by other threat actors. The U.S. government continues to mull how to respond to Holiday Bear and Hafnium. Britain's PM calls for greater offensive cyber capabilities. India looks for ways of countering China in cyberspace. Sky Global executives are indicted for alleged racketeering. Accenture's Josh Ray takes on defending against nation states. Rick Howard aims the hash table at third-party cloud security. And what does it cost to be on a do-not-call list? Nothing. It costs nothing. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, March 15th, 2021. Bloomberg reports that Microsoft is looking into whether threat actors use the research of DevCore to exploit vulnerabilities in exchange service. DevCore, based in Taiwan, alerted Redmond to the exchange server vulnerabilities in December. At issue, the Wall Street Journal explains, is how Hafnium's cyber espionage campaign began quietly in January, picked up momentum, and expanded into widespread cyber looting by many actors shortly before Microsoft patched them. Microsoft is investigating whether the vulnerability leaked from DevCore, whether inadvertently or deliberately. Microsoft quietly and privately released information about the vulnerability to security partners, those in the Microsoft Active Protections Program, or MAP, on February 23rd, and it planned to issue its fix on Patch Tuesday last week. On February 27th, Chinese-linked threat groups began actively scanning for the exchange server vulnerabilities, and by the 28th, several distinct groups had begun active exploitation. This pushed Microsoft to issue its fixes earlier than anticipated. More recently, publicly released proxy logon proof-of-concept exploits have placed Exchange server attacks within the reach of script kiddies, Bleeping Computer says. According to the record, some actors are also piggybacking on other threat groups, hijacking web shells placed by other attackers. This has in some cases escalated the damage done, as the hijackers move from cryptojacking to ransomware. The U.S. government is said by Security Week to be nearing some decision on how to respond to the cyber espionage campaigns that exploited SolarWinds and Exchange Server, with some public announcement promised in weeks, not months. Response to the threat actors is half the issue. The other half, the New York Times reports, is a plan to reorganize the national approach to security. 
Other governments are also contemplating developing and deploying offensive cyber capabilities. According to Reuters, British Prime Minister Johnson has called for cyber attack capability ahead of the release of a national security review. And the Economic Times reports that India's government faces calls for preparation to face an increasingly assertive China in cyberspace. Google, at odds with Microsoft over relations with publishers and news sources, has said that Microsoft's position on paying for content is no coincidence. Mountain View accused Redmond of engaging in misdirection. It's naked corporate opportunism, Google's senior vice president of global affairs said, shortly before Microsoft's president's testimony Friday in congressional hearings on the effect tech platforms are having on the news business. Google suggested that Microsoft's stance on the issue is an attempt to distract attention from the company's large, damaging, and growing problems with Microsoft Exchange server exploitation. The Wall Street Journal places the dispute in the context of a worldwide drift in the direction of having search engines pay content providers for links. On Friday, an indictment was filed against two executives of Sky Global, Jean-Francois Iep and Thomas Herdman, in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of California. The two are charged with racketeering offenses involving the sale of encryption devices to transnational criminal organizations. The devices are sold with the promise that they'll be wiped should those devices be seized by police. The indictment describes Sky Global devices as dedicated data devices housed inside an iPhone, Google Pixel, BlackBerry, or Nokia handset. The devices replace the phone's internal hardware and software responsible for geolocation, photography, internet activity, and voice communications. The indictment alleges that Sky Global and the two executives charged were engaged in both drug trafficking and obstruction of justice. Vice points out that this is the second major case against an encrypted comms provider accused of racketeering, the first being Phantom Mobile. Sky Global apparently drew some lessons from Phantom's experience. Notably, the indictment says, the importance of maintaining an arm's length of deniability to distance them from the criminal organizations whose operations they facilitate. The U.S. indictment follows an earlier disruption of Sky's operations by Europol, which authorities in Belgium, the Netherlands, and France undertook earlier in the week. Both of the executives charged are Canadian citizens, and the company itself is based in Vancouver. Over the weekend, Sky Global posted a response to the indictment on its website. The CEO framed his indictment, which he says he learned about from press reports and not from the authorities, as a shot in the crypto wars. Major Iips said that the indictment can only be described as erosion of the right to privacy. The company's technology, he added, exists to prevent anyone from monitoring and spying on the global community. The indictment against me personally in the United States is an example of the police and the government trying to vilify anyone who takes a stance against unwarranted surveillance. It seems that it is simply not enough that you have not done anything illegal— There is no question that I have been targeted, as Sky Global has been targeted, only because we build tools to protect the fundamental right to privacy. The unfounded allegations of involvement in criminal activity by me and our company are entirely false. And finally, the BBC reports a new wrinkle in the familiar Microsoft help desk phone scam. Note, first of all, the obvious. 
The nuisance calls, claiming to be from Microsoft's tech department or a Windows help desk, have nothing to do with Microsoft. One of the BBC's tech reporters, tired of being pestered, asked the caller how they got her number and told them to strike it from their list. Give us a thousand pounds and we will, said the faux tech supporter. Naturally, the reporter didn't pay them, but apparently some of them have. The whole family of scam calls has been rising during the pandemic, and there have been calls in the UK and elsewhere that threaten the recipient with arrest if they don't pay a fine or some other legal consideration. In the UK, these calls have sometimes said that there's an ongoing court case over an unpaid tax bill. Sometimes the judge and jury are even said to be online and waiting for an answer. In the U.S., the scammer usually says they're agents of the Social Security Administration, telling you that your number has been suspended for illegal activity and that you need to take action to avoid being taken into custody. Remember, no responsible government is going to call you up and demand immediate payment by credit or debit card for some alleged unspecified misdeed. So hang up on them. Asking to be placed on their do-not-call list is probably a futile gesture. They're crooks, after all, and if they're not worried about grand larceny and wire fraud, they're not going to be too concerned about a minor matter like pestering someone on a do-not-call list. But if you feel you must talk to them, you may as well waste their time in something interesting. Or who knows? Appeal to their conscience. Urge them to leave that boiler room and find honest work. Sure, it's not likely to work, but... Who knows? The heart has its reasons after all. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is the CyberWire's own Chief Security Officer and Chief Analyst, Rick Howard. Rick, always good to have you back. Thank you, sir. 
So for the past six weeks or so, you have been inviting your hash table guests from all of the various cloud providers to discuss how these environments help us deploy your cybersecurity first principle strategies. So you think it's time to reach out to some of the third-party pure play security vendors and maybe see what they have to say about the subject? Well, Dave, you know, great minds think alike. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what we did this week. And, you know, just for clarification, when we say third party, we mean a security vendor that's not part of the internal cloud vendor's product offering. Mm. The cloud provider might partner with the third party vendor and even do some integrations, but the product itself isn't built by the cloud provider. So, for example, Amazon offers products from Sumo Logic in their marketplace, but these are Sumo Logic's products, not Amazon's, right? Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and also, when we make a reference to a pure play security vendor, we mean that that vendor only builds security products. You know, companies like Nobefore, where their product line is not spread out across a galaxy of different kinds of products, compared mm -hmm. to, say, Google, for example, who offers a security product like cloud data loss prevention, but also you can get YouTube and Gmail and a bunch of other things that have nothing to do with security. Hmm. Well, it strikes me that, that some of these pure play vendors might have a thing or two to say about uh, the ability of how I should characterize them. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, these, these newbies in the security industry trying to roll out, these young whippersnappers trying yeah. to roll out security products these for their cloud environments. You could just visualize me on my porch with my hand raised in the air. You whippersnappers, what are you doing right, in security? Right, right. Yeah, get off my, get off my cloud. Hey, get you, off get my... off of my cloud. Wait, hold. That's, Wait. That, that's kind of catchy, isn't I, it? <laughs> we, we, might have, we might have to go into business here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's, uh, it is indeed the case that that's true. And, you know, shocker, okay, they all think they do it better than the cloud providers do. You know, who knew? <laughs> all right. So, yeah. so in this show, we brought on guests from Palo Alto Networks and Cisco to hear what they have to say. But, you know, to give it some balance, we also brought on the host of another security podcast called the Cloud Security Podcast run by Ashish Rajan out of Australia. Now, hmm. He doesn't have a dog in the security vendor fight, but he agreed with the pure play vendors on this one point that the pure play vendors have been doing intrusion kill chain prevention for years now, where the cloud providers don't really think that intrusion kill chain prevention is a thing. All right. So in this show, we have a rousing discussion about whether or not that's important. All right. Well, it's all part of CSO Perspectives. That is part of CyberWire Pro. You can check that out on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
in. I'm pleased to be joined once again by Josh Ray. He's the managing director and global lead of Accenture's cyber defense business. Uh, Josh, it's always great to have you back. I want to touch today on um, state-sponsored threat actors and, and what organizations need to know when it comes to protecting themselves against them. Yeah, thanks, Dave. This is a topic that's you know near and dear to my heart uh, in an area that I've spent a lot of time in my career uh, looking at. And I think one of the things that the folks have to understand is that, you know, security threats from state-sponsored actors have been around really for quite some time. And these are requirement-driven threats. So really, what do I mean by that? I mean that it's their job, their full-time job, to achieve their mission objectives. Uh, And remember, uh, you know, folks, that like there's a reason that you're being targeted. It's because either information that you have or, or could have what you produce uh, as, a, as, a, as a business, um, or in many cases, in, in the case of, say, third-party attacks, your, organ, uh, your organization really represents a means to an end to just broader access to other targets. I mean, this was obviously highlighted here in the, in the recent uh, SolarWinds uh, attack. Yeah, you know, I, I think about how many organizations probably think, well, you know, what would a, a, a nation-state be, why would they be interested in me? Um, but then you think about something like the target breach, you know, or the, an HVAC contractor. I could see very easily an HVAC contractor saying, well, there's nothing of interest here. We're an HVAC contractor. But you could be the, the, the back door into a much more interesting organization. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, a catering facility, uh, an HVAC uh, contractor, Maybe, a, you know, maybe an IT services firm um, or, you know, other types of businesses. If you are seen as, uh, as a means to an end, as part of an intelligence operation, you're going to be targeted, uh, unfortunately. Um, and that's not to spread, you know, fear, uncertainty and doubt, but this is an active intelligence operation that folks need to understand um, is not going to stop just because you, you don't see yourself as a target. You have to kind of look at yourself through the lens um, of a threat. So what are some of the specific things that organizations can do to protect themselves against this particular threat? Yeah. So, I mean, we've actually, I could share some observations based on um, our recent Threatscape report and things that we've seen is obviously, you know, the third party vendors uh, to target very specific assets and, and broader access operations is going, to, is going to continue. But what we've also seen now is routinely, these adversaries are chaining together these off-the-shelf penetration tools with these living-off-the-land types of techniques, right? Just using the native uh, types of tooling that's you know, used by systems administrators to move around the network. And this is both complicating detection, um, but also attribution to certain types of threat groups. And it's also really helping them be more effective, right? So they're, you know, they can use this tool that tooling that is commercially developed um, to, you know, uh, really drive the uh, plausible deniability of a lot of these attacks as well, too. So, what specifically can organizations do to try to stay ahead of this threat? Yeah, I, I, one of the things we we always talk about is making sure that you understand the adversary collection requirements against your specific organization, right? So that means applying strategic intelligence to see, you know, what types of things that an organization, um, why they would be a target or why you would be a particular target and how that maps back to strategic requirements of a particular nation state. 
Now, what this allows you to do is really better focus your security controls on not only what the business sees as their high-value programs or high-value targets, um, but really what the threat is after as well, right? So being able to kind of get to that Venn diagram of what the business cares about and what the threat's after. I think, and then you need to think about um, prioritizing, you know, what adversaries are likely to target you the most based on um, those collection requirements and look at their tactics, techniques, and procedures and create specific type of hunting programs and activities that mimic that behavior so you can be a little bit more proactive in your approach and actively look for those threats on your network. And it's really important to you know, understand those commonly used tools uh, that I was talking about before and the techniques that are uh, employed so that you can actually detect that activity in your network as well so that when you see those types of tools being used or certain types of patterns that are being uh, uh, exploited by those types of activities that you can detect it in your own environment. You know, I, I wonder if particularly for a lot of uh, smaller or mid-sized businesses, do they, is there an attitude that, you know, what could I possibly do against someone as sophisticated as a state-sponsored threat actor? But um, you can defend yourself against this. There, there are tools you can use and you can, you know, in, improve your, your defenses. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that the worst thing you can do is throw your hands up and say, "There's nothing I can do," right? Um, it, you know, I think it's as an, as a whole industry, we need to kind of almost move beyond this notion of cyber defense and and really start thinking about things and achieve that level of cyber confidence, right? There's some things that you can very specifically do programmatically, employing the right types of technologies um, and driving that you know broader business acumen. Uh, to really defend yourselves uh, against these types of threats. But also when the bad things happen, that you have that, again, that confidence to be able to chart that course, you know, in the face of that chaos. So, you know, you're investing in things that matter. You're able to see and manage the, the unseen uh, and really more effectively prepare for, for the unknown. Mm. All right. Well, Josh Ray, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. They taste as good as they crunch. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security. Ha! I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. And check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence. And every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 